<laughs> okay, now we can start. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. If you build it, they will come. Joel, you seen that movie? You seen that movie, Joe? Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Jordan Malley. Jordan, great to see you. Through our 670 scores. Scope, yep. Where is he? And it's right over there, Bill. Did Matt Peck yeah. get a signed copy of that book? No, Matt Peck, he didn't. No. No. I'll talk to D. Rose. Yeah, got you. Matt, well, you will be getting your book soon. <laughs> Kick back and get ready for the best hour of your day. Are players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. And so all I was saying on this podcast, the Locked on Bulls podcast, Locked on Bulls starts now. The Locked on Bulls podcast. You can just see the vibe. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. Drop your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us, 331-979-1369, the place to do that. Matt, what's up? What's going on, man? Hope you had a good weekend. I know you're chilling up in Michigan. Uh, the weather was beautiful here in Chicago, so I have no complaints. It was just very, very hot. Coming off a, what, now 10 days of what feels like great, great Bulls positivity. Coming off a lottery in which we move from 7 to 4. Everything's going right for us as a Bulls fan base, at least over the last week and a half, two weeks or so. But how are you doing? How was your weekend, man? What's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Um, had a great weekend. Very relaxing. I escaped up to Mish uh, on Friday. Chicago was feeling a little, uh, just a little crowded. Uh, and I felt like getting away and going somewhere a little less, a little less Chicago-y. So I'm up here in the North Woods of Michigan, laying low. Um, but uh, I, I figure like it was a good time to, to escape for a little while because, as you said, the, the I feel like our fan base right now is about as happy as we've been in at what six years maybe you know maybe like d rose's game three buzzer beater in 2015 it was all downhill after that i'm pretty sure uh and it just felt like a really good time to be like all right you know what we, we have a new coach on the way we've got this new management group in position we've got uh you know some good lottery luck we jumped up we've got some some good mojo going and i'm just gonna kind of like quietly sneak away for a little bit and uh you know read some books dip my toes in the sand and enjoy the the last bits of summer so but of course i couldn't i couldn't you know just completely run away and hide because i'd, I'd miss you and our listeners too much we've talked about we're really hot on um, bobby portis mcdermott um nicola meritich felicio <laughs> that's when it was that was when it was truly downhill matt that's when i knew oh we were goodness. on an we were on like a 90 degree decline all the way straight down to the you bottom. Know, you know who Gar wasn't high on? Luka Doncic. Oh my God. German Grant, who we talked about. <laughs> oh man, yes. It is. Holy shit, man. Is it hard to watch? It's not hard to watch as an NBA and a basketball fan because I love these games, but every single time he goes out there and fucking balls out and and grinds, grinds with no complaints, no complaints whatsoever. He was back there with his team again after rolling his ankle bad in the last game. I mean, Luka dropping a triple-double going toe-to-toe with Kawhi was, was pure entertainment yesterday, Matt. Was that the best game all weekend for you? 
Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I I might say it's the best game of the entire playoffs so far. I mean, uh, game one, Blazers sneaking a win over the Lakers was also a really entertaining game that went you know down to the wire. But talk about the crazy ebb and flow in that game. The Mavs get down big. I think they were down twenty one at one point. They come all the way back. They have like uh, a near double digit lead halfway through the fourth quarter. Then they cough that up. Um, Clippers force OT. I think there was a change of lead seven or eight times in just the five minute overtime frame. And then just Luca just doing crazy, crazy things. That kid is so fun to watch. Yes, I'm insanely jealous that he is not the new rising star of our franchise, but it's still really enjoyable to watch that kid. What he's doing at age 21 is absolutely insane. 43, 17, and 13 last night, including that game-winning buzzer-beating three-pointer. Prior to that, only two people in NBA history had a 40, 15, and 10 game in the postseason. And those two people were Charles Barkley, who did it against the Bulls in 1993 in the finals, actually, and Oscar freaking Robertson in 1963. Luca is already in the company of some of this game's absolute legends, and he's 21 years old. It's nuts. It's the perfect storm, and it's just brewing right now. But, Matt, he's got the attention of the entire younger generation of fans. Like, I'm talking about the the fans that were kind of love the game are at a point now where they grasp onto one or two or three stars and that's who they grow up loving and I think Luke is doing that in the perfect storm of playing absolutely out of his mind I'm excited to see where he's at in two or three years but it might be might also be a little bit of heartbreak throughout his entire career knowing that the Bulls had a legit opportunity to get him um, he is Gar insane. was not interested. The Gar, Gar was not Gar interested in any Gar and Fred were the only two people <laughs> who didn't think Luca was going to be an insane star in this league. Oh, man. Shout out, Fred. Remember when you weren't sure if Luca could be a 20 points per game scorer in the league? Yeah, he just dropped 43 in his fourth ever playoff game. That's uh, so insane. How about the Sixers, though, man? How fucking disappointing is that team? And to Dude, be a, a fan base, it, to be part of that fan base right now who trust the process for a very long time and then just to get their ass handed to them by the Celtics. What did you think about that series? Man, it was rough, but it pretty much went exactly how I saw it going. Even before the Simmons injury, I had I have never had any faith in that Sixers team in the playoffs. None. I think Embiid shrinks in big moments. I think Simmons' lack of shooting ability really hurts them when games, playoff games slow down and turn into a half-court grind. You have to be able to have somebody who can create their own shot from mid-range or hit a big three when you need to. Um, ideally, those being your best players. Neither of Philly's best players are that kind of player in crunch time, and I think it is the, the most glaring flaw with that roster. But yeah, once they lost Simmons, I was like, Oh, it, it very well could be a sweep because that Celtics team is good. That Celtics team is deep. Um, and, and even overcoming, uh, another yet another injury to Gordon Hayward. They, I, I figured they had the talent to disperse Philly pretty quickly. Um, so I, I, I do feel a little bit bad for the Sixers fan base that was gearing up for, uh, you know, 
a, a big hype season. People were talking about Philly maybe being a sneaky team to come all the way out of the East this year. I wasn't buying it, uh, and certainly Simmons' uh, injury was a nail in the coffin. But you know what, Jordan? If you are a Sixers fan and you need something to ease the pain, I got an idea. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, a stay-at-home parent, a Sixers fan, or you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair. Everybody needs support to make it through their day. Luckily, our friends and our sponsors at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets chaotic or depressing if you're a Sixers fan. CBD Freeze with Menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. CBD Recover combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you support you need where it matters most. Maybe you went out to your driveway and were shooting a bunch of hoops to take your mind off the Sixers loss, and now your muscles and your joints are hurting. Hit up that CBDMD. Right now, our Locked on Bulls listeners can use this amazing duo of topicals and everything else CBDMD has to offer. They're offering our Locked on Bulls listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBD. MD. He's not not pound sand. All right, Matt, are we buying into Greg Popovich is all of a sudden going to go coach Kyrie and KD? Are we buying that narrative? No. No. Why not? Because does that sound like something Pop would do? I don't know. Maybe he could. Uh, he's got an assistant coach, too, that's in the free agent pool that he could add and join forces with there and see if they could get boots to asses and bring Kyrie and Katie a championship in Brooklyn. No. Well, and there is the other connection of the fact that Kyrie and Katie have worked with pop for team USA basketball in the past. I work for there is, there is that connection. Yeah. So did Jim Boylan. Uh, he's worked with Greg Popovich. Um, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like a pop move to me. When has Pop in the last 20 years when however many teams across the league would say that guy, we want that guy to come coach our organization, to lead our franchise. And Pop has always been like, nah, dude, I'm good in San Antonio. And yes, right now, San Antonio is about to enter, most believe, uh, to be their first true rebuild in like more than two decades. This is the first time, like, what, did you see that list that somebody put out about, like, the things that were the uh, present day goings on in, in pop culture and current events the last time the Spurs didn't make the playoffs? Because it's a hilarious list. Uh, it was like, you know, I, I was in high school. You were in grade school. Like, <laughs> if they were behind Greg Popovich, a perennial playoff team in the Western Conference in two decades where the Western Conference was very, very strong. And not once in any of those years did we hear anything about Pop, you know, fleeing San Antonio and being lured away to some other organization. And yeah, Kyrie and KD are two of the league's biggest stars right now. But nobody respects Brooklyn as like a franchise. Maybe they will if KD and Kyrie actually pair together and start winning things. But I don't think that that's going to be with Greg Popovich coaching their team. I have always thought that Greg Popovich would just be a dude to coach the Spurs until he didn't feel like coaching anymore, and then he would just walk away. I work for Greg Popovich. I'm making the meme today, Matt. It's going on Twitter. I'll send it to you, too. I know you're taking a Twitter break, but it's 
Greg Popovich, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Jim Boylan. The big four in Brooklyn. <laughs> the big four oh in Brooklyn. They're going to take over the Eastern Conference, but no, I, I don't. Unless, unless Popovich is like, all right, maybe I go try this. How long is KD and Kyrie under contract for? Three more years? Four more years? Maybe he's like, okay, I got one more run in me. The East is a little bit open at this point. The Sixers are a mess. The Raptors are weirdly good, but not unbeatable. And he just saw that against the Nets and the Raptors in this series alone. You got an Orlando Magic team that's all right. I mean, but who who is the top dominant dog in the East outside of the Celtics? And they're not even, I don't wouldn't even I really mean, consider them a top dog, man. The default answer has to be Milwaukee. I guess. But it's crazy because like when Kawhi left after they won the chip last summer, I was like, okay, well now Milwaukee has to be the front runner because even with Kawhi landing in Toronto, most people saw Milwaukee as the odds on favorite to win the East last year. Uh, and they fell short. And right now, especially after that weird game one loss to Orlando, people are like, uh, coupling that along with the fact that Milwaukee was not playing very well in the regular season bubble games, people are like, man, may- maybe it isn't Milwaukee's, uh, you know, number one seed and and their uh, easy trip to the finals like we all thought it would be. As long as Giannis is on that team, Giannis is the best player on the best team in the East, in my opinion. Um, with Kawhi leaving the East and LeBron leaving the East, that seems like the obvious answer. But it I, the East is wide open right now, and it's a shame that we had you know two and maybe another another a third coming today. Uh, you know, four game sweeps in the first round of the East. You kind of saw that coming though, didn't you? Yeah, it's a good point. The only thing that I would say is if Pop is looking at this as in a four year totality, and I guess even if Giannis decides to leave Milwaukee and go to Miami he's still in the Eastern Conference and that ultimately makes Miami the better team and then we could start talking about them as a juggernaut alongside Butler Uh, but still Miami had their troubles of their own against Orlando and I look I know at points they were just absolutely scraping the floor with Orlando but Orlando stole a game too so we we should definitely talk about that in terms of big beasts and you know, a healthy KD and Kyrie pair those together with what Pop could do with his philosophy. I mean, I don't know if I if I'm enticed enough to stay around the league for three or four more years in Pop. Maybe he does consider it. That's the best place to go right now in terms well, of if you want to win right now and you've it, got the assets yeah. in place. If if he wants to keep coaching in the NBA and he feels like okay, San Antonio, the the DeRozan trade didn't really work out, and we're, we're starting over, and we've got some young, interesting pieces, but we're not going to be really realistically contend for a championship anytime soon. Now's the time to walk away. Uh, but I want you know one or two more shots at a title and look at this you know star pairing over in Brooklyn. My uh, the, the thing that it, I find very curious is whether or not he could create a strong bond and develop the respect and trust in in a two-way direction with Kyrie and KD, who, yes, are two of the biggest stars in this league, but they also share a common reputation as what? Divas? Thin-skinned players? You know, you got KD with his burner stuff and never felt like he got enough love or respect in OKC, then felt like he never got enough love or respect in Golden State, even though he won two titles with them. And 
all the things that Kyrie has done and said, playing behind LeBron, wanting out, then all of the issues and the drama that were going on when he was with Boston. Like KD and Kyrie are, yes, two of the biggest, best stars in this league, but they also both have like prima donna issues and a reputation. Does that sound like people that coach wants to uh, pop wants to coach? Because if he can get them to fall in line and believe in pop's no nonsense system where, you know, he would berate Tim Duncan, arguably the greatest power forward the league has ever seen. Do, do Kyrie and KD have the stones to be actually coached and coached well by pop? I don't know. I would throw along for a long period of time in there too, right? Because they've got the connection and the relationship from USA Basketball, but that's for what, six, eight weeks, maybe 10 weeks right. at the most. So are they willing to do that for a couple of years? And Which is mostly just fun and USA Basketball knowing that wherever we're going and whatever competition we're playing and we're going to crush them. Right. That's different than the pressure of trying to win NBA titles. It's true. It's a good point. That'll be something fun to think about as we like heading to an off season and we get closer and closer to the NBA finals. And really, there's going to be discussions heating up about where coaches end up because there's a lot of vacancies right now, Matt, and the Bulls being one of them. Uh, there's there is a coaching question I do have for you before we get to our locked on mock draft 4.0, which is including one through 14 now, which is good. Good to add some of those other teams too that haven't been a part of the first uh, three mock drafts that we've done. And for, Matt and I will be selecting at number four. I think we gave you guys a little bit of a sneak peek of what was going on on Friday, but we will run through those picks uh, in just a minute. But there was something else I noticed, Matt from watching these games and specifically watching Kawhi Leonard just dominate and just go toe-to-toe with Luka yesterday late in third and fourth quarter situations. The amount of times he was going to work in the mid-range and just getting his shot and finding it and knocking it down time and time and time and time again made me think a lot about what Zach Levine and even Kobe White had said this year that Jim Boylan and the offensive strategy that he wanted to implement was either get everything at the rim or everything on the arc. It took away both of their mid-range games. And while Zach Levine's stats say that his he's improved, he felt like part of his game was taken away. Watching a star like Kawhi do this in the playoffs where he's just taking advantage of everything in the mid-range game makes me wonder if the coach that they're going to bring in wants to get back to that a little bit and allow Kobe White and Zach Levine to add that back into their repertoire of moves and weapons they have on the offensive side. Because if Zach Levine says he's got a great mid-range game, and that's something he hasn't been using over the last two or three years, then damn, he's got probably another level which we haven't already seen. And same thing with Kobe White. If he says he's got a mid-range game and he wants to utilize it, it's pretty deadly. I was watching Kawhi do it. I was watching a few other guys. I was watching Luka do it to some extent. Again, these are two of the best players in in the league right now, but I'm always curious with the two best offensive weapons we have on this team right now, how can they implement that mid-range game back in there if they truly feel like that was taken away from them while Boylan was under command? And and not just Kobe and Zach, but the other name I would throw in there is is Lowry because I've I've been feeling like the Lowry-Zach two-man game pick and roll was has been so underused over the last two seasons given the talents and abilities of those two players and all of the troubles you could cause your opponent's defense playing a two-man pick and roll with those two guys because we all know that we want Lowry's three-point percentage to be better than it was this season but he also has said I want to prove I can be more than just a spot-up shooter and yes playing off the ball and cutting 
um, and, and finding ways to score at the rim. But also, guess what? Lowry can knock down mid-range shots too. So having either of those guys be able to operate in the pick and roll in addition to Kobe, yes, I would agree with you. And look at what you saw, not just you know your example of Kawhi picking apart uh, that Mavs defense in the mid-range, but I, I stayed up late and watched the entirety of Nuggets Jazz last night. And holy crap, not only did you get the awesome you know, uh, battle between two young stars and Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, two 50-point games for those gentlemen. But the way in which Donovan Mitchell and whether he was working along with, with Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley got involved, he was working with Joe Ingles as well, pick and roll and finding soft spots in that Denver defense and knocking down mid-range after mid-range after mid-range, he would you know sprinkle in a floater here or there. But operating in that space is something we didn't see from the Bulls at all this season. And we are seeing how effective it can still be, especially in half-court playoff basketball. And look, I I don't disparage what Jim Boylan was trying to do to some extent, which was... I do. (laughs) To to open up some of the things going on on the three-point range and also knocking down your shots at the rim. Look at, I mean, Matt, go look at B-Ball Index and look at Zach Levine's finishing rate at the rim. It's fucking insane. And that's a testament to Zach Levine getting better as a uh, as a basketball player and, and being able to finish at the rim and do it consistently with the amount of times Jim Boylan asked him, just go to the rim, go to the rim, go to the rim. Uh, so that's good to see. But bring back the mid-range game, which which he feels is already strong. Same thing with Kobe White. And maybe they took it away because guys like Jabari Parker and Chris Dunn were taking dumbass mid-range 18-footers. And you got Jabari Parker taking it four seconds into the, the shot clock. And same thing with Valentine. Just all of these guys taking stupid shots that were low-percentage baskets. Lowry Markinen's an interesting one, too. You know, he had that weird, like, he loves to, like, hang in midair and do that floater, like, six to eight feet away from the rim. Wonder if he'll bring that back at some point. But, yeah, man, DeMar DeRozan and CJ McCollum have even talked about it in the past, is how critical it is to keep your mid-range game in form when going into the playoffs because you can beat teams that way. And we saw it with Kawhi, and like you were mentioning in the Nuggets game, but we saw it with Kawhi specifically to the point where they had to switch Luka off of him with a taller defender to stop all of that space in the mid-range. I'm wondering if if there's things to be picked up and be utilized by the Bulls going forward and keep that in the back of their mind if you got scores like Kobe White or Zach Levine. Um, Matt, before we go to our locked-on mock draft and want to read all of those results and get your initial thoughts on that, I want to talk to our listeners about Built Bar. Built Bar has been with us for the last couple of months, and they have been a fantastic sponsor, and their protein bars are absolutely delicious. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They are high in protein, high in fiber. They're great for the keto diet. They're low calorie and low in sugar. Always talk to you guys about not loving having breakfast immediately when I wake up, but I know I need to get my body started. Uh, So I use Built Bar to get my metabolism started for the day and make sure I'm not going hungry between meals. Built Bar has 12 original flavors and six brand new flavors, including cookies and cream and caramel brownie. Take, for example... The Coconut Almond Bar, which is part of their 12 original flavors. It has 18 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. So don't waste your money on expensive protein bars that are difficult to chew, don't taste really great, and aren't covered in 100% chocolate. 
Check out Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Locked On for ten dollars off your next order. Use promo code Locked On for ten dollars off at BuiltBar.com. And while supplies last, they're giving away free coolers to keep your Built Bars chilled. So you want to bring them on the go, and you don't want them to melt all over the place. A free cooler with your purchase while supplies last. But you got to go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Locked On for ten dollars off. That's BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Locked On for ten dollars off. All right, Matt, were you surprised at all by Locked On Mock Draft 4.0, who we took, where guys were ending up being drafted, and anybody behind us that you were surprised that was drafted, anybody slip, overall expectations coming into this, and what you saw and what played out? Uh, well, I, I was expecting um, chalk at least for the first two picks. I figured Lamelo and Edwards would be the first two off the board, um, not necessarily in that order, but that's what it went down. Uh, Timberwolves taking Lamelo um, and um, Anthony Edwards going to Golden State, uh, and we did also, I believe, say for this first, we'll do more of these with the entire. Uh, list of lottery teams, but for this first one, I think the rules were no trades. So where you're talking about maybe Golden State being a team that would be looking to trade down in this particular mock draft 4.0, there were no trades, so they keep their pick and they select Anthony Edwards. Charlotte taking Killian Hayes third overall, one spot ahead of us, was maybe the one surprise uh, in the sense that most people would say the consensus top three are Lomelo, Edwards, and James Wiseman, the big from Memphis. So uh, a little bit of a curveball there, which left us with the decision at number four to maybe scoop up Wiseman and figure out the log jam in our front court uh, and the center spot between him, Wendell, uh, Daniel Gafford, but feeling like there there was you know too much upside to turn down there or go in a different direction. Um, so I, I'll let you take over here. Because our selection at number four, I think, is the... I I was okay with it, but you're the one who wanted to make this selection. I would have maybe gone in a different direction. Yeah, I was actually surprised by our back and forth when we were texting. And I didn't get a chance to flush out my answer when you you shot the initial name that you thought we should take. Um, Isaac Okora was the guy that we were talking about at taking at number four. I haven't done much research on him. A lot of the mock drafts I'm seeing where he goes, he's going anywhere between, I mean, as high as four, but as low as eight or nine. And I thought thinking about the top four and honestly, my mind slipped and I didn't realize James Wiseman was still at there at four. And we had taken him previously at seven, but I think there was a legit discussion to be had about taking Wiseman at four and dealing with all of our, uh, front court issues later and letting AK have a good good problem on his hands. But despite all of that, we decided to go with Denny Avija at number four. feel like he's got the most upside, I guess, and the most need right now immediately for this Bulls team, considering you only have one more year of Otto Porter. Chandler Hutchison, for the most part, has been a bust. Uh, so you really need somebody to play that wing spot. I was, I, I am pleasantly surprised that we took him at number four. I'm okay with the pick here. I like it. I think he can turn into be a pretty decent player. And Matt, even if he isn't a superstar in the league, outside of the top two picks, I don't think anybody else in this draft is going to be a superstar. Maybe LaMelo or maybe Anthony Edwards. But uh, if Denny Avisha can be a guy that plays a, a critical role on a future team five years or six years from now from this Bulls team, it was a good draft. Um, 
but why did you want to take Isaac Okoro at number four? And what did you see in him that you liked about him? Well, so for starters, I was okay with passing on Wiseman this time because we had selected him, I believe, in two of our previous mock drafts. Um, So just for the sake of doing something different and for the sake of a different discussion on the podcast, I was like, let's not take Wiseman again because that's just boring. True. Um, So then to me, it was like, okay, well, do we want to go with... uh, Denny, uh, you know, the kid from Israel, or do we want to go with Okoro? I have been and am still leaning towards Isaac Okoro. Um, while he doesn't necessarily have the same, like, shiny unicorn allure of an unknown international prospect like Denny of Deja does, um, to me, I was just very impressed with the tape that I watched of his year at Auburn. And they have certain similarities as far as strengths and weaknesses on the offensive end. Neither he nor Denny are strong uh, perimeter shooters. Um, And what worries me even more about Denny is like he didn't even shoot 60% from the free throw line. That's my big concern with him. But he is a very gifted passer and a guy who moves well for his size, moves well in transition, can finish at the rim. Isaac Okoro, similar thing. A strong, you know, wing who can cut and and make plays offensively. A gifted passer. He's got pretty good court vision. Um, And and he can do a lot of different things, basically everything, except knock down threes at a consistent rate on the offensive end. And you aren't sure about his trajectory on improving that three-point shot. Because right now, what I've seen from him is a similar concern that I have with Chandler Hutchison when he was coming in which is just the mechanics of his shot. He's got a noticeable hitch in his shot, just like Hutch did, kind of a slow release. Can he have somebody, a shooting coach, a shooting expert, work with him to fix that? Because if he can, everything about Okoro on the defensive end, I absolutely love. He's a guy who can guard one through four in the NBA, and I think can do so pretty quickly right when he jumps into the league. With his size, 6'6", 6'9", wingspan, Everything he could do on the defensive end screams all defensive team kind of wing when he reaches his peak prime years in the NBA. Given how sorely the Bulls have been lacking at that position over the last few years, I know I'm using a little bit of bias of drafting for need as opposed to drafting best available. And I don't think Okoro necessarily has superstar potential. But if I'm being brutally honest, I don't think anybody in this draft has superstar potential. That's why I would lean towards Okoro over Denny of Dijia because I think his ceiling on the defensive end is higher and they aren't that far apart on the offensive end. I'm surprised the consideration for Okoro would be more of a fit than it would be for best player available and and I only say that because of what AK has said a couple of times now with they're going to take the best player at four it doesn't matter who it is. We'll figure about problems later. And I guess this is the first opportunity we're really going to get to see strategy that he implements and things that he says to the media about draft strategies and then ultimately what he ends up doing. We'll get a little bit of a taste of that in this first year. I mean, we can go back to the Denver picks even that he made and some of the things that he said prior to those drafts to get an, a better idea. But 
I don't mind taking a wing here. I just want to make sure that it's the player that we know we're going to get the most out of. And it doesn't necessarily have to be star power like we were talking about. And knowing at four, I don't think you're going to get that guy there. But another wing, Matt, that we didn't mention yet was Obi Toppin, who's getting a lot of talk in the top five. I think for the most part, if you're taking Obi Toppin, then you're going all offense. You're going, fuck the defense. We're going to score 130 a night, and that's going to be our plan, at least in the short term here. And we'll work on defensive strategies with our team as a whole later at that point. But you're taking a little bit of an older player. You're taking a guy that is a beast on the offensive side of the ball, but for the most part looks like a train wreck on defense. So if the Bulls do highly consider Obi Toppin at number four, what does that say to your overall thought process of where the Bulls are headed in the future is it pressing now and okay they feel like they're at a better point than maybe we initially thought and they're ready to to continue to compete or is it hey they're going to just take the best player and that's who they feel like Obi Toppin is I mean it seems like very clear that that AK's plan is to take best available and not draft for need I don't really know I mean, I, I don't see Toppin fitting in well with these current pieces. But again, let's remember that maybe AK has a vision and a plan that doesn't involve several of these current pieces um, and involves essentially starting the rebuild over by maybe only hanging on to one or two of the current young core. And maybe he sees Toppin as, as a guy who, I mean, National Player of the Year Award kind of guy, 20 points per game score in college, shot the ball very well. Um scored at all three levels and yes you're you're right not a whole lot of defense being played there and maybe that's uh something that AK is saying well let's try and focus on becoming a more efficient offensive team because while Jim Boylan was hanging his hat on certain defensive stats and ratings this past season while the Bulls were floundering 20 games under 500 the Bulls offensive stats and ratings this season were garbage like you know, I don't stop work. coaching the team because we're much. down. Oh, I don't do that. I've never done that. I never will. So, I, I, and then, of course, the, the other thing that people are talking about with, with Obi is obviously the age factor. Um, he's going to be 23 in March, which is, by most recent reports, maybe when the 2021 season, his rookie season, will be just getting underway. So you're talking about a dude starting his rookie season pretty much as a 23-year-old. And where is the room for growth and development? And how much of that room is there for a guy who's already 23 coming into his rookie year? Yeah, you got to... What that tells me, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but what that tells me if they take Obi Toppin is, one, all right, AK's going to make a trade for another player here in the first round. Two, he feels like this team has enough talent from what he's been able to see on film that he feels if we can press forward with a guy that's 23 and you don't need another year to to as like a time period to develop somebody to get to the point where they're where we thought we were at last year to be honest with you at a point where we were going to go try to make a playoff push any of that um he's certainly a damn good offensive player man and I don't want to take that away from him at all because he was fucking dominating the last six weeks of playing in in NCAA and he made put Dayton on the map again but Dayton on the map and everybody was talking about is this high-flying score. So uh, that can be a tricky thing, too, is a lot of us tend to forget about some of these performances until we actually go back and look at the film. I'm like, holy shit, he's dropping crazy shots and doing amazing things on the offensive side. So uh, that's the last question I've got for you. Real quick, 
Do you feel like AK is going to make a move here in this first or second round, whether it be adding another pick, trading somebody away for future picks, moving down with this fourth pick, moving the second round pick, any of that? Do you think there's going to be movement by this front office uh, by the time we get to draft night in terms of him saying that he doesn't feel like this is as weak of a draft class as everybody's making it? And do you think he zigs or he zags while everybody's zigging, saying that this draft class is kind of low? Maybe he capitalizes on that. I mean, I I would not be opposed to that at all. Um, I know he has told the media and and thus the fan base that he's excited about getting a good player at four, but it's not like he's sworn to doing that just because he said so in a reaction after you know the Bulls get lucky on lottery night. He can do whatever he wants. As, as far as I'm concerned, whatever he sees as the best course of action, if it involves getting frisky and making a trade on draft night, I'm cool with that. I think, as I said last Friday when we were reacting to the lottery news, I would probably be more okay with the idea of trading down than trading up because I honestly don't think any of the players in this draft class are worth trading up and sacrificing future assets, especially for a team like the Bulls as, as far as where they find themselves uh, in the direction of their, their franchise right now. I don't, I don't like the idea of giving up future assets uh, in, in our current state. So if AK has maybe his eye on a mid to late tier lottery person who he thinks is more of a top five value, but might in, in his belief slide and, and people are calling the Bulls interested in trading up at number four, if you're talking about this this Bulls offseason where you have almost zero cap flexibility and the roster that you'll be returning is essentially the same, save for maybe a mid-level exception and the departure of some uh, a couple of people from last year, I would I would not mind at all seeing the Bulls swing twice in the first round of this draft a little down, you know, beneath number 4. I would I would actually very much welcome that idea. Were you happy with the schemes? I'm with you. I think that whatever AK decides to do here, there's a plan and there's a fit in place and he knows what he's doing. So I I would say that's my initial feel and it's just a gut feeling is that Boston is three first round picks in this draft and I don't think they're using all three of those. And maybe AK sees a guy in the mid first round that he really likes, feels like there's value there. And the Bulls don't have to give up much in order to swap picks or trade away a first round, a future first or a future second round pick in order to grab a guy. So I would say keep your eye on that. Keep your eye, too, on who the Bulls are interviewing. I think that'll give us a taste of uh, some of the strategies the Bulls might have in place for draft night as well. Um, Same thing with the second round. A lot of guys that could be potential second round draft picks or guys that the Bulls sign after the draft's over that go undrafted uh, could be a potential move that AK capitalizes on as well. So I think there's a lot of moves that could be in place before uh, all is said and done on draft night. Uh, But that's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls. Thanks again for listening, for listening all week long of the past couple of weeks. Thanks to all of our new listeners out there. If you're just jumping on the Locked on Bulls bandwagon for the first time, or maybe you took a little break from basketball while the shutdown was happening during this pandemic and you are back. While the polls were sucking, sucking real hard. (laughs) While there was... uh, 
very little hope or faith in this Bulls team. Uh, but regardless, if you're back with us, thank you again for listening. We had our most downloaded week ever, Matt, for Locked On Bulls, and that is a huge testament to everybody out there listening, people who are excited about Bulls basketball again. So thank you, thank you, thank you to lis- to all of our listeners out there. Whether you're day one, you've stuck with us since the very first day we've been here, or you're just jumping on for the first couple of weeks, and you're new to the podcast, 331-979-1369, the place to drop your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us, 331 1369. We'll do mailbag a little later in this week. So make sure you get your questions, your comments, anything in there. 331 979 1369. We're on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley at Bulls underscore Peck and at Locked on Bulls. Hit us up there. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. Be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com.